joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writers. And, uh, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. What's up? Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. I'm actually live this week. Last week we had some technical issues. We've got them figured out. And I'm back live. I'm good to be back live. It's good for my routine. Last week, as you recall, I did a podcast as if it was a live show. You can check that out. I did. I had some more technical difficulties with my computer. But I promise it turned out decent, I'd say, but I'm biased. And I also had a really cool uh, Schoolhouse Rock segment in there that I was hoping I could have done live. But... I think it turned out all right, so good to be back live on the airwaves, and it's a, another big sports week in Chicago, and I'm here for another hour. Normally, I'd be taking you up to Bears kickoff, because usually they kick off at noon on Sundays, but this week, they're in primetime against the LA Rams. Tomorrow night, Monday, Monday Night Football on ESPN, kickoffs at 7.20, so not taking you up to kickoff, but I'm going to preview the game and give you my pick and everything. Got a lot of football to talk about in professional and college, because the Big Ten came back this weekend. And one Illinois team looked good, the other did not. And I'll talk all about it. And probably the big story of the week, it'll, pro- it'll be my lead, was what I'm calling Stan Bowman's Magical Media Tour, because I think I might be the only show in town that didn't have Stan Bowman booked. And I know John Greenberg was uh, retweeting my tweet saying, hey, Nick's got an open slot. Because I read his dollars and cents column, and it was, I mean, Stan Bowman did everything from the score to TV interviews to NBC Sports Chicago's podcast interviews to Barstool Sports. I mean, he did everything. So, I mean, I still got time if he wants to come on the show in the next 55 minutes, but I'm not optimistic. But yeah, it's his magical media tour talking about his, this rebuild that he sent a letter out to fans about. I mean, I'm going to dive into it because. If you've listened to this show, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. And this is probably going to be the the last thing I talk about. It's where I have the last thing on my list here. What the hell was that ending to the World Series last night? I mean, that's that's up there with the craziest endings in playoff history, let alone World Series history. And if you missed it, I'd suggest finding the highlight. I'm going to walk you through it, but you've got to see it to believe what happened because that was insanity. Last night, and that's why I even tweeted, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Because <laughs> it's a crazy game, that's why it's my favorite sport. But I want to leave with the Hawks, because they're apparently rebuilding now, as if they weren't already, you know, when they fired Joel Quinville. But, whatever. 
Apparently the rebuild is on because the Blackhawks sent a letter to fans saying, hey, we're rebuilding, stick with us. And it's very New York Rangers-esque, and Mark Lazarus at The Athletic made a good point that the Rangers did the same thing a couple years ago. They sent out a letter to fans saying, hey, we're rebuilding, stick with us through it, like we want to we wanna build for success down the road. And what the Rangers do, they went out and got two top two picks and an old friend for the Blackhawks named Artemi Panarin, which that's still a trade that bugs me. And one thing I'm going to have against Dan Bowman later on here when I get into my rant. But the Rangers went out and did that. And now the only I think the only player they kept was their goalie, Henrik Lundqvist. So they went into full rebuild mode, quote-unquote, and ended up being just fine. But the difference here is the Rangers knocked it all down. They just they took a match, blew it all up, burned it all down, started over. All they kept was Hendrick Lundqvist. The Blackhawks, they got rid of Corey Crawford, which I talked about either last week or the week before. It probably would have been the week before because last week I wasn't live. They traded Brandon Saad again. Remember, Brandon Saad was who they traded for, and they traded Artemi Panarin. But that's one that's still that still hurts. I don't want to talk about that much. But they traded Saad again. And I guess the rebuild is officially on now. I thought last year was going to be a rebuilding year. I guess not. I know they made the playoffs. They shouldn't have made the playoffs. The NHL did that so they'd have the Chicago market tuned in. So I don't think the Blackhawks should have been in the playoffs last year. And I've been very vocal about that. But with this letter coming out, winning is not in the immediate future, I guess. Which... I could have told you from just looking at the roster. I mean, this is not this roster is not going to win a lot. It should with Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith. But it's safe to say Taves and Keith are past their prime. Patrick Kane's still Patrick Kane. I mean, just when you think he's down and out, he comes back with a force. So I'm not ready to say Patrick Kane. I guess he's kind. I guess he's past his prime technically. But that said, he's still Patrick Kane. I mean, Michael Jordan, I'm not, not to equate the two, but Michael Jordan was past his prime, still did pretty damn good. Obviously, I'm not saying Patrick Kane's the greatest hockey player of all time. Like, Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time, and if you want to hear my argument on that, check the podcast from last week. But that, that's the same concept, and he's past his prime, but still the best player on the roster. But this isn't a rebuild, if you're keeping those players around. And obviously, they have no movement clauses. And I was listening to Captain Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 coming home from work on Friday. So I work, at a, I work at a golf course. We got rained out. So I got sent home early. So I'm in the car listening to Captain Jay Hood interview Stan Bowman, one of his 150 media interviews he did this week. And I forget which one of them asked about the no movement clauses for Kane. Keith and Taves, which is not just a no-trade clause. It's, they can't move them. They're on the roster. And Stan kept pointing back to, well, at the time they deserved it. At the, at the time, you got to look at the time. But earlier in the interview, Cap brought up, because Cap used to be a basketball scout, he brought up that he'd look ahead. So if you're going to have these no-movement clauses and these long contracts, why are you trying to rebuild with these guys stuck on your roster. Because the only way they can get moved is if they give their blessing. If they ask 
Duncan Keith, if he wants to be traded, like it'd be one of those things like pick where you want to go. Duncan Keith has to sign off on a trade. He has to say, okay, I'm waving my claws. You can trade me. Stan can't just trade him. We can't wake up one day and see Duncan Keith was traded and Duncan Keith had no idea. And I, I, want, I want to do some digging. And there is a contract tracker on NHL.com that I found. And the fact that the Hawks are supposedly rebuilding right now, the window of opportunity should have been until these contracts were up, these big contracts that they signed. I remember when they signed them. I thought they were good at the time. Everyone did. I mean, you had the biggest dynasty in Chicago sports since the Bulls in the 90s. So, yeah, you want to keep those pieces around. But, but I, I find Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Duncan Keith, I don't want to stick around for a rebuild. You want to win. And just looking at the contract tracker, Patrick Kane's contract expires in 2023. Jonathan Taves' contract expires in 2023. And Duncan Keith's contract expires in 2023. Why are you deciding now is the time to rebuild? You still got these pieces. Why, are, why aren't you trying to win with these pieces? You're, the, the sole purpose of these contracts was to make it so your window of opportunity closed in 2023. Look at what Theo Epstein's doing with the Cubs. The contracts expire at the, in 2021, after this coming season. The contracts expire. Granted, there are going to be changes to the roster this year because Tom Ricketts is crying poor because they have no money, even though they've got this big TV channel and making all these big changes. But don't get me started on that. i got to stay focused here. The... Contracts for the Cubs expire in 2021. So Theo said the window, the window of opportunity ended in 2021. And no, the Cubs didn't win another World Series after 2016, but they made the playoffs more times than they ever have, five times in six years to be exact. So they they filled that window, and I think they could do it again next year, depending on how the season goes with COVID-19 and everything. But the window of opportunity closed in 2021. The Blackhawks have now closed their window early. I mean, these three guys are going to go down as three of the best Blackhawks in history. Because they won three cups. Duncan Keith, I will never forget when he lost, what, what was it, seven teeth in 2010 and kept playing? I mean, he's a, he was a force on defense in his prime. He's not as much anymore. Jonathan Taves is your captain. And he's, John, he's Jonathan Taves. Yeah, he didn't have the best year last year and the year before. But he's still Jonathan Taves. And Patrick Kane is, like I, I, I say it again, the best player on your roster. I don't understand why they're closing the window now. And also, what Blackhawk is Stan Bowman going to bring back? Because he has a tenant, he does this. Say, let's go back to, hmm, which name do I want to bring up here? Let's go back. Let's go with Brandon Saad, just because I've got him on, on the brain. So Brandon Saad played for the Blackhawks, won two cups. He got traded for salary cap purposes, right? All of a sudden, Stan brings him back in, what was that, 2017? For Artemi Panarin. Now, Artemi Panarin was already one of the up-and-coming players in the NHL and just continued on that track. Stan traded him for a washed-up Brandon Saad. And Brandon Saad hadn't done a whole hell of a lot with the Blackhawks recently. In his second stint, he didn't do a whole lot. Saad was one of, I'm going to, I'm 
going off the top of my head, I'm just guessing this might be a low number. I'm, I'm going to think four or five former Hawks that Stan's brought back. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Like, when, are we bringing Corey Crawford back in the next few years then, now that we let him go? Like, is that the plan? Like, what? Pick a lane here. Actually, he has picked a lane. It's, bringing, it's the revolving door. Going to let Crawford walk? No, we'll probably bring him back in a couple years. It's probably what's going to happen. It's because the guy doesn't know how to work a salary cap. Now, I'm no salary cap expert. I mean, I've said that on the show numerous times, that the reason I love baseball so much is because there's no salary cap. Yeah, there's a luxury tax, and now the owners are trying to make it basically a salary cap, but there is no set salary cap in Major League Baseball. That's why it's a little bit easier, like if you're the Yankees, spending all this money, okay, you just pay the luxury tax. The NHL has a hard cap. And that's why these contracts, Kane, Taves, Keith, and even Brent Seabrook, which is, that's an outrageous contract now. That's why these contracts are hurting the team so much. Because it's up against the salary cap. Which is why, and I say it again, the window should have closed in 2023. That, at that point, you knock it down and start over. Don't build around these guys. You can't build around these guys. You can build around an Alex DeBrink at a Kirby Doc, sure. But you can't call this a rebuild when you're keeping these three guys around. This is what bungled from the start. And if you've listened to the show the last year and a half, two years, however long I've been doing the show now, I've lost track with COVID and everything. I'm losing track of time. You'll know I've never been a Stan Bowman fan. And everyone's quick to give him credit for the three cups. No, that was Dale Talon. Stan took over for Dale, and Dale was the one that set up those teams. The reason Stan Bowman still has a job is because Scotty Bowman's there. I mean, the fans have not been happy with Stan Bowman the last couple of years. Well, I don't think they have been more, longer than that, but it's really shown the last couple of years. Another thing. Is Jeremy Colleton really the guy to get through a rebuild? I mean, I know he doesn't have any NHL head coaching experience and he was big on the developmental side. That's why he's their coach now. But is he the guy to start a rebuild with? I mean, I look at other teams around town and, yeah, the, the Cubs started with Mike Quaddy, which was a joke, and then Dale Swaim, who was a joke. They were basically just placeholders until even Ricky Renteria came in. You knew they were on the upswing and then Joe Madden became available. So is, is Jeremy Colleton just another one of those, like, he's just there to fill the spot? Is he, is he the guy that they're sold on to lead this team all the way through? I don't think so. I, don't, I think he's just kind of there. You watch him during games. I mean, even, even Joel Quinville, yeah, Joel Quinville didn't talk. He wasn't like Mr. Personality with the media. Like, I mean, he was short, sweet, to the point, give you the sound bite. But you watch him during games, he's animated. You watch Jeremy Collin during the games, he's just standing there. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not one to, like, say I'd be a better hockey coach, because I got to tell you, there's no way I'd be able to coach a hockey team. I wouldn't know what I was doing. So I'm not one to say, oh, he's a bad coach, but if, if, you, if you watch him, I just don't know if he's the guy. And that's, like, been the catchphrase of everything, is the guy. Is he the guy to get this team through this, to rebuild with? I'm not sure. And I know Stan's sold on him because he keeps talking about oh, Jeremy's great. Like, 
on the de with development, development. Like, it, can you show me some concrete evidence here? Because Alex DeBrinket's been a roller coaster. Yeah, Kirby Doc got better and better. That's because it was his first year. Of course, he had nowhere to go but up. I'm not sure what's going to happen the next couple of years. But I, I do know this. They need to quit calling it a rebuild because it's not. That's why I put it in quotes. Quote, unquote, rebuild. Until the big three are gone. And I, I said this a couple weeks ago, and it, it, it physically hurt me to say, it's time to get to tell Kane, Taze, and Keith to get off the team to weigh their no movement clauses. Because I grew up with those guys. The first hockey season I watched was 2009. I remember watching the Winter Classic. That was the first year I started watching hockey. So I wasn't a bandwagoner that jumped on in 2010. That was the year before. I've been watching ever since. So I've literally grown up with these guys, and now it, it hurts me to say it's time for them to move on. I think Stan, I think they need, apparently they have had conversations with Stan, and they're sticking around. If I were them, I'd be waving my no-movement clause and getting the hell out of there. You know, Brandon Saad's probably going to win a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche this year. Because he got traded to Colorado for, I can't, I can't even remember the guy's name that they traded for. That's where we're at with the rebuild. I'm sorry, quote-unquote, rebuild. We're at that point where I'm already forgetting guys' names. This is going to be interesting. And I, I can't say I'm excited to see what happens, because I'm not. But Stan can keep going around to all the different media outlets and preaching the rebuild and talking about how he's sold on what they're doing. Because, I mean, he's not going to throw everyone under the bus. The last thing he's going to do is say, oh, oh no, we're, we're going to go out there and we're going to just you know, throw something together to have a team while we rebuild this. No, he's going to say, like, we're going to have a chance to win. We want a chance to win. That's what he's going to say. I mean, it's all it, – I, I, coach speak is the term. Obviously, he's not a coach. But it's all cliches. It's predictable. I could have told you what he was going to say in those interviews. It's a matter of how it looks on the ice. And we don't know when we're going to see the teams on the ice because we don't know when the NHL is going to start. The NBA is talking about December 22nd. That's what my guy Sham Sharani is reporting. So it sounds like the NBA is shooting for Christmas time. But we don't know when the NHL is going to start back up. And that's kind of hindering things. That's why there's so many unknowns. We don't know when the season's going to start because of COVID-19. So that's part of the issue. But again, it's a matter of how things look on the ice. And I'm not sure they're going to look good. But I'll tell you this, the fact that th this, they didn't just close the window of opportunity early. They slammed it closed. I mean, the last few years, when, they missed the, when they've been missing the playoffs and the, lot of the mental mistakes and obviously the youth movement, like, they're a young team. There's going to be mental mistakes. I, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't just call it a rebuild a couple years ago. I don't understand why now. And Jeremy, or Jeremy, and, and Stan pointed to, he was talking to Danny Wirtz in the bubble about it, and they decided they were going to call it a rebuild. The rebuild was on. It's not. 
You need to change. It's a retooling is what this is. You're retooling the roster because you've still got those three guys. And you can even say four because of Brent Seabrook's still there. Those four guys are still on the roster. It's not a rebuild. You didn't burn it all down. You tried to burn it down and then put it out. You put out the fire. So who knows what's going to happen. We don't know when the season's going to start. We don't know who's going to be on the team next year. We don't know what the salary cap's going to look like. We don't know much of anything other than, you know, Stan Bowman is sold on this quote-unquote rebuild. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's not sold on it. Because I don't trust him to rebuild the roster. I think I heard that question on the radio this week. Would you trust Stan Bowman to rebuild a team? No. Absolutely not. The fact I go back to it started with the trade of Artemi Panarin. As soon as he traded Artemi Panarin, who was an up-and-coming young player in conversation for Rookie of the Year, I think he might have won Rookie of the Year now that I think about it. As soon as that trade went down, it went off the rails. So the fact that he traded a guy like that, that tells you enough. And I still believe if he doesn't trade Artemi Panarin, the Blackhawks are in a much better position because they have a they had it they would have had a young guy to build around. But instead they sent him off to Columbus. And he's now in New York. Meanwhile, here we are with the Hawks. And it sucks. I'll get off my soapbox. Let's move on to football. Because the Big Ten is back. And the Illini, <laughs> did they just not remember that it was a real game? Did they think it was just a scrimmage or something? Because that was horrendous. But how about Graham Mertz for Wisconsin? How many of you had heard of Graham Mertz before this week? I hadn't. Yeah, before Friday night, I didn't know who that was. The only time I'd heard the name Mertz was because I lived in Mertz Hall at Loyola freshman year, which I could go on and on about that experience if you want me to, but I'll spare you. It wasn't exactly great. But I, I like this kid. What do you have? One incompletion, one incomplete pass, and he had four touchdowns in the first half, five for the game. He's a redshirt freshman. I'm not ready to say he's the greatest quarterback in college football history, but no, I'm just kidding. No, he, he was really good, though. And also just exposed that the Illini, who we heard so much about taking a, taking a big leap, they didn't take a big leap. And I can, I can tell you why that happened. I can tell you why they played so bad. It's because Lovey Smith shaved off the beard. I'm just saying. They were playing really well last year when he had the beard. He shaved the beard off and they didn't show up against Wisconsin. I'm no expert, but I'm, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. And the fact that he shaved the beard off and they play like that, just saying. But yeah, that was not good. That performance by the Illini on Friday night. I'm here for the Friday night college football, though. Yeah, that was that was that was nice. I would have, like I said, I just wish it would have been a better game. <laughs> if you're a Wisconsin fan, you were all for it because that was. What, what even was what even was the final score of that game? Yeah, I, I can't. It was it wasn't close. And like I said, Graham Mertz went nuts. Yeah, final score of that game was 45-7. to seven. Not great, Bob. 
On the other side of the state, how about the uh, Northwestern Wildcats last night? Yeah, Cats beat Maryland 43-3. So this is almost the polar opposite of the Illini game. Northwestern came to play. And I had the, so I had this conversation with uh, a friend of mine's dad last night. So my, my friend Ethan's his birthday is today. Last, yesterday we celebrated. Well, his, his dad's a big Iowa fan. And we were watching Rutgers-Michigan State to pass the time before we went to, I think it was a brewery we went to, to celebrate Ethan's birthday. And we're watching Rutgers-Michigan State, and I'm, I'm just like, I don't like either one of these teams because I'm a Notre Dame fan, therefore I don't like any team from Michigan. Michigan, Michigan State, whatever. But I don't like Rutgers because they don't belong in the Big Ten. I think Rutgers and Maryland do not belong in the Big Ten. It's plain and simple. Big Ten's always been focused on the Midwest. They tried to expand East. Look at Maryland. 43-3 to Northwestern. Northwestern was mediocre last year. Yeah, they got a solid, I think they got a solid quarterback now. But 43-3, are you kidding me? Granted, Rutgers put on a show against Michigan State yesterday. You know, Michigan State committing seven turnovers and Rutgers only winning by 11. 38-27. So do with that what you will. But Maryland losing 43-3 to Northwestern. Ouch. But I am glad the Big Ten's back. And, I mean, I've said on the show, like, I I could see why college football wouldn't be played this year. I know there were a lot of question marks, and understandably so. But when the Big Ten wasn't playing and every other league found a way to play, at that point you bungled your return-to-play plan. And I'm glad they're back, even with limited fan attendance, everything. But college football is now officially back in full force. Because the SEC is going strong. Every other league started up. But I got to tell you, with the Illini not being competitive, that, that's going to hurt. And I'm sure there are some tough conversations going on, or at least there should be. I mean, I know North, I know West, let me start that over. I know Wisconsin's not a bad team. Like, they're a good team. I mean, I remember when Illinois upset them last year. It was a big deal. And it was a, it, everyone saw it as a sign that Illinois was back. Like, they were going to be good this year. But for them to come out like that, I know it was first game and there were a lot going on with COVID and everything, but that was just downright embarrassing. And another fun fact, if anyone's into sports betting, you can't bet on Illinois teams. This is the first time we've had that issue because I saw a few people on Twitter like, how come the Illinois game's not showing up? Can't bet on Illinois colleges in Illinois. So, like, once college basketball starts, like, you, you can't put money on DePaul, Loyola, Northwestern, Illinois, Illinois State, whoever. Nope. And I guarantee you, anyone who was thinking about putting money on that, that Illini game was happy you couldn't. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not much else to say. But, yeah, Big Ten's going strong, and I do have to give – I mean, I'm, I'm working in my studio here. My dad's on the other side of the room. He's working as a breaking news writer for Saturday Tradition now, and he, he, he's at work now because the Big Ten's back. So that keeps him occupied. And I know he's listening to me too. <laughs> but, yeah, college football going strong, baby. And how about my fight in Irish yesterday, huh? Finally they cover the spread, and they – Wow. I mean, I didn't get to watch a lot of the game. I was watching GameCast a lot. But, I mean, it, it, 
looked like a different team. Granted, they beat Pitt, which Pitt's not good. But hey, you know what? After the way Notre Dame played against Louisville last week, you know what? A big win's a big win. If they can win, if they can win convincingly against Pitt, I know it it calmed me down a little bit because I had a lot of question mark. I had a lot of questions about that team. I mean, with the way the play calling was against Louisville, and whether Ian Book. I mean, I've been saying all year that Ian Book should be a candidate for the Heisman. He hasn't he hadn't played like it until yesterday. I feel a lot better about Notre Dame right now. After that game yesterday, I don't care who they're playing. To go into a game against Clemson next week after a win like that, that's huge. And then they're going to get rolled over by Clemson. But, you know, what? we're going to enjoy it while it lasts here. We're going, to, we're, we're going to enjoy it for a week before Trevor Lawrence comes in and Clemson just mows over Notre Dame. But for now, let's enjoy it. By the way, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm Nick Schultz here with you for the next half hour talking football. And speaking of enjoying something while it lasts, Chicago Bears are 5-1. and one. And I keep hearing, oh, they're the worst 5-1 and one team in history. Oh, this, that, and the other. Stop it. 5-1 and 5-1. and one. Just, I keep, I, I say it over and over. I think I say it at least five times a day. 5-1 and one is 5-1. and one. Should that game last week against Carolina have been that close? No. But a win's a win. Nick Foles said it himself. Would you rather win ugly or lose pretty? A win is a win. 5-1, and one, take the money and run. I gotta, ha- I, just, I gotta have that clip from the Steve Miller Band song. It's just take the money and run. Just play it in the background. That's all. I, I may as well have that on repeat because that's my catchphrase with this team. Take the money and run. I mean, they beat Carolina. That was a good win. They contained Teddy Bridgewater. The defense looked sharp. Hello, DeAndre Houston Carson. Second straight game-sealing interception. And how about that first sequence? When I thought they had a safety, I thought they tackled Bridgewater in the end zone, and then came back, got the interception, and the offense almost blew the opportunity. Defense looks great. The offense still needs work. Yes, I know Nick Foles is still getting acclimated with everything. You can hear all the excuses you want, blah, 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 blah. But the offense, if the offense can get going even a little bit, I'll feel better. And I know a lot of other people will feel better. The injury report came out yesterday. Obviously, the Bears play tomorrow night again. And here's what we're looking at here. The injury report's a little long this week. Granted, there are one, two, three non-injury like, they're just resting veterans and Ted Ginn, Jimmy Graham, and Dan Trevathan. So those are on the quote-unquote injury report, but they're not injuries. So I'm going to skip over them. They just didn't practice Thursday for extra rest. Alex Bars, full participation. He's fine. Deion Bush is listed as questionable with a hamstring injury. Questionable means he's going to play. Rashad Coward had a finger injury. He was full practice yesterday. He's questionable. He's going to play. Uh, who else we got on here? Akeem Hicks had apparently the common cold. Is what Matt Nagy said. He was it was listed as an illness. It was the common cold. He's fine. He's gonna play. Eddie Jackson's shoulders okay. He's full practice. He's gonna play. What worries me, so Khalil Mack wasn't on the injury report on Thursday. All of a sudden, Friday, he didn't practice with a back injury. Yesterday, Saturday, he was limited. He's questionable. He's gonna play. 
Because questionable means he's going to play. But that's worrying me a little bit because he was just getting healthy. Sherrick McManus is out with that hamstring injury. Didn't practice at all. Bilal Nichols was full practice. He's a go. Buster Screen didn't practice Thursday or Friday, but was limited Saturday, so he's going to go. It's questionable. Jason Spriggs went from full practice to didn't practice on Saturday with a thumb and back injury, so he's questionable. He's going to play. And then Brent Urban and Javon Wims are both full go. They're going to play. So lengthy injury report this week. But the only one that's listed as out is Sherrick McManus. But I got to tell you, I'm not comfortable with Khalil Mack showing back up on the injury report because he was just getting healthy. He had that laggy knee injury. And now he's got a back injury? I mean, yeah, he's going to play. Like, there's no question about that because he's questionable, which questionable just means he's going to play. But if the Bears can stay healthy like they did in 2018, they'll be fine. But if, if Khalil Mack is an impact tomorrow night against the Rams, I'm going to start worrying again because I, I worry about injuries on defense. So we saw it last year when Akeem Hicks went down. The defense was not the same when Akeem Hicks got hurt. One other thing, and I've, I, I've heard this a lot on the radio, the national sports media landscape, and I'm talking uh, Keyshawn, Jay Will, and I, why can't I remember the third guy's name on the ESPN morning show? Hang on. This is the thing about doing a show on my own is I sometimes have to Google stuff while I'm talking. And Zubin. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. I will remember that. That's third week in a row. I've forgotten Zubin. <laughs> but those three guys, they talk about the Bears, and even the Chicago media has picked it up too. They talk about them like they're the Lions. Like you keep hearing, they're frauds. They're not legit. Like, yeah, they're 5-1. and one. They're not a legit 5-1. and one. And even in Vegas, you see it. Why are the Bears six-point underdogs tomorrow night against, against the Rams? Why are they six-point dogs? I, I don't get that. Like, I mean, definitely, I mean, not one to really talk about my betting habits that much, but Bears in the points seems like a lock. Because I don't think that game's going to be a six-point game either way. Now, I know, and I know my dad just came over and told me that Ryan Clark on ESPN thinks the Bears are legit. He's one of the only ones on the national landscape that thinks they are. I mean, you hear Chicago media like, yeah, we're all, we're all excited. Obviously, they're, they're the team that we cover. So, yeah, we're going to have a little bit better insight to them. But the national media, I mean, what's, they're 5-1. and one. They're in first place in the NFC North. Because the Packers, oh boy, the Packers, they played real well last week, didn't they? <laughs> so I, when I work, there's a, there, there's a member, his name's Ricky, he's a big Packer fan. I mean, he, I mean, I'm talking, license plate holder says, I own a piece of the pack, he's wearing Packer stuff every day. He and I go back and forth all the time. Well, he came out to play, so I had Tuesday off, I usually work Tuesday to Friday. He came out on Wednesday, and I turned him like, hey, I'm sorry I missed you yesterday, because, or I missed you on Monday, because I was going to ask you if you saw what Aaron Rodgers did. Because <laughs> that was... Oh, man, I just don't, I don't like the Packers. <laughs> it did my heart so good seeing them just get steamrolled by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Did you know that the Buccaneers, one week after playing a sloppy game against the Bears, didn't commit a penalty against Green Bay? 
And Aaron Rodgers threw, what, what did he throw, three interceptions, something like that? Two interceptions? I know he threw two. I don't know if there was a third in there or what. But, man, that was awesome. So the Bears are in first place in the NFC North. But, you know, they're six-point underdogs against the L.A. Rams. And I think 6-1 and one can happen. I think, I think they can be 6-1 and one after Monday night. Because I've got, a, I've got a stat I want to read here. So, Jared Goff, obviously, quarterback of the Rams. They're fully invested in Jared Goff. In two games against the Bears in his career, here are his stats. 31 for 62 passing for 353 yards. This is in two games. No touchdowns, five interceptions, a 33.9 quarterback rating. Now, I'm no football expert because I golfed in high school. I didn't even play football in high school. There's no, there's no way I was going to survive on a football field in high school. But those are not good numbers. I mean, that's just my non-expert opinion. But I don't think I'm pretty, pretty confident in this one. That's not good. The Bears' defense has had Jared Goff's number. And the defense, I mean, this, this is safe to say. The defense is the reason the Bears are 5-1. and one. Jared's hell ain't the offense. I mean, what was it, first quarter? They were called timeout to avoid a delay a game. Out of the timeout, got a delay a game. And Foles is out there with his hands in the air going, what am I doing? And I know people, including my dad on the other side of the room, will be quick to point that that's a coaching thing. That's Matt Nagy. Yeah, on the offense it is. Yeah, no, that, that's on Nagy. But I, I don't think Matt Nagy's like Mark Trustman level yet. And that's still, that, even saying that puts a bad taste in my mouth. But he's not trustman level. I mean, the guy wins, but they ride the defense. Yeah, Chuck Pagano still needs to get a little better. A little bit, little bit better because uh, defense did not look disciplined out of the gate last week. But if the Bears want to win tomorrow night, Nick Foles has to step up and lead that offense. He's a great leader. That is one that that's honestly it's one of the only things I like about Nick Foles is that he's a great leader. I mean everyone always everyone would always ask, oh who do you like, Trubisky or Foles? I don't like either one of them. I still think they should have paid Teddy Bridgewater. Well, they were gonna pay Teddy Bridgewater. I think they should have guaranteed him the starting spot. Yeah, I mean they 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 were willing to give Teddy Bridgewater the money. I saw the report from six seventy of the score. That they were willing to pay him. They just wouldn't guarantee him the starting spot. And at that point, just just do it. Yeah, you can taint, like, yeah, the Panther game, like everyone's talking, oh, well, Teddy Bridgewater, revenge game, whatever. The Bears defense did a good job of containing him. He's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You saw what he did for New Orleans when Drew Brees was out. But you're stuck with Trubisky or Foles. And if I'm picking between the two, you got to pick Foles because he's got a Super Bowl MVP. That said, it's a very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of deal where he can show up one day and the next day he's going to be terrible. So far, he's done okay. And tomorrow night in primetime, I think he can show up. He usually does pretty well in pressure situations. Look at the Super Bowl. But he's got to step up and take charge on that offensive end. And he's got to throw more to Cole Komet, who got his first touchdown last week. Plus 1,100, baby. He's plus 1,000 this week, by the way, to score a touchdown. But it's good to see Cole Komet finally get integrated into the offensive scheme. And he needs to stay in the offensive scheme. He needs to be more of a pass catcher instead of a blocker. I see him blocking. Like, don't get me wrong. He's a good blocker. What made him stand out at Notre Dame 
was that he was Ian Book's number one target. He's a great pass catcher. He needs to be in the offense more. And that's on Nagy. Nagy needs to work him in. Like, I'm all for seeing Jimmy Graham. Like, Jimmy Graham was making that, you know, we all ripped the contract. Like, yeah, I still think they're overpaying him. But he's stepping up. I think he's leading the league in touchdowns by a tight end, or at least the NFC. And that's just because George Kittle was out for a few weeks. Yeah, that hurt my fantasy team. But yeah, Jimmy Graham's great and all, but work Cole Komet in. You didn't draft him in the first round. Just to, or was it first round, second round? Whenever you drafted him. He wasn't your first pick to just block and sit on the sidelines. No, work him into the offense. And you saw he got the first touchdown last week. It didn't really do much else. But work him in. I'm tired of seeing the first pick sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, we hear about Jalen Johnson. I mean, we knew from the start that Jalen Johnson was going to be a good pick. I mean, he had a ton of upside, and you're seeing that. Yeah, he got burned a couple times last week by D.J. Moore, but that's because he was going up against D.J. Moore. But Jalen Johnson was the second pick that the Bears took in the draft. He's working out fine. Now they just need to work Colt Komet in, and I think they can. And that's on Nagy, and it's on Foles to go through his progressions and find him. But a yeah, big one tomorrow night. That is, I mean, six and one means you're legit no matter what. At least that's how I see it. Six and one means okay, you're virtually guaranteed a playoff spot. Now you got to start thinking bigger. And I hope the national media would start taking attention, paying attention to them, because like six and one would be huge. And I want to hear. I guarantee. I guarantee you. I will. I will say this right now. Again, I, I make this joke all, every week. I'll put all the money in my pocket, all $2, that end of the week you're going to hear, oh, the Bears are the worst 6-1 and one team in history. You're going to hear it. And it's on the national landscape. Locally, you're going to hear that the Bears are legit because they cover the Bears. Obviously, they're going to know them better than the national guys. But if they get to 6-1, and one, I don't want to hear worst 6-1 and one team in history. I want to hear, okay, this team might actually be legit. We might be wrong. You won't hear that, but you never know. It's 2020. Who knows what can happen? But as always, I will save my prediction for the very end of the show to make sure you stay tuned in for the next, what is it, 16 minutes or so? But I think you know where I'm going to go with it. So yeah, I've got 16 minutes left. I do. I can't not talk about that World Series game last night because holy cow. So, if you missed the last play of the game, go find the highlight right now and watch it. Or if you want to listen to me, I'm going to walk you through it. But it's way better if you can find the highlight. So, I didn't see it live. I saw it on Twitter. And here's what happened. So, was it two outs, bottom of the ninth, Rays are down one run. They're down seven to six. Brett Phillips comes up. With two guys on. Hits a base hit to center field. Kevin Kiermeyer scores easily. Mookie bats in center field. Goes to pick up the ball. Bobbles it. So third base coach sends Randy Rosarina home. He's waving him home. Betts throws. It's a beautiful throw. Throw beats him. And Rosarina slips and falls. He pulls a Daniel Jones, which if you missed Daniel Jones on Thursday Night Football, falling on his 80-yard run, that would have been a touchdown. Go watch that one too so you know what I'm talking about. But a Rosarina trips and falls. 
And Chris Taylor, the catcher, goes to tag him. He doesn't have the ball. So Rosarina gets up and slides into home. He's safe. Rays win, 8-7. <laughs> One of the craziest plays I've ever seen, and probably the craziest ending to a playoff game and definitely a World Series game ever. Because I don't know what that was. And important question, why wasn't Kenley Jansen backing up home plate? If Kenley Jansen was there, backing up home plate where he should have been, Rosarina's not safe and they go to extra innings. But he wasn't backing up home. That's fundamental baseball. I mean, that was drilled into my head in high school baseball. And we played little 1A high school baseball in middle of nowhere, Illinois. This is the big leagues. Why aren't you backing up home plate? This game also definitely exposed what I've been preaching the last few years, that Dave Roberts is the most overrated manager in baseball right now. I mean, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this rant. And I hear, I hear, I hear you laughing over there, Dad. Yeah, I hear, I hear my dad laughing over there. But... So Dave Roberts, severely overrated. I'm going to tell you why. So Julio Arias. Pitched four and two-thirds innings yesterday. Struck out nine guys. But Dave Roberts pulled him after four and two-thirds innings. Why pull him after four and two-thirds innings? When he struck out nine guys, he was cruising. Absolutely cruising. I'm sorry, uh, Smith was a catcher, not Chris Taylor. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, it, was, it wasn't Mookie Betts in center field. I'm sorry. So, sorry, but thanks to Daryl Horowitz, the old, my old co-host, for correcting me on that. But either way, go watch the highlight. Uh, but four and two-thirds innings. He's cruising. Dave Roberts pulls him. Why? Why? Ride the hot hand. Because what happened after that? The Rays took the lead. That's what happened. And later on in the game, I see Pedro Baez come up on the TV, and I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm going, I mean, I don't like Pedro Baez because the guy's basically a human rain delay. The guy takes forever to throw a pitch. It takes about as long as it took me to finish that sentence. But anyway, why was he coming in there and he struggled in the playoffs? Like, those decisions right there tell you enough. But no, Dave Roberts, and you see him, He's sitting there in the dugout after the game, and you watch his reaction to that final play. And it just, I don't know why he was surprised. <laughs> because that, that, this happens every year. I mean, the Dodgers get to the World Series. They have the best record in baseball. And they get to the World Series, and they fall apart. They were up 2-1. to one. Now it's tied, and I think the Rays just took the momentum. Game five's tonight, by the way. But Dave Roberts proved himself as the most overrated manager in baseball. And people keep asking, oh, is this finally going to be the Dodgers' year? Is this going to be the year they finally win the World Series? This is, what, their third trip in four years, something like that? The reason they haven't won a World Series is because of the guy sitting in the manager seat. Actually, that's not the whole reason, but it's a big reason why they haven't won yet. It's because of the guy sitting in the manager chair. Dave Roberts is not a good manager. And I want to quit hearing people say he is. He overmanages. 
Yes, Joe Madden did the same thing with the Cubs. I, I know the comparisons. I've heard, I've heard it all. I've heard all the comparisons to Joe Madden with Dave Roberts. The difference is Joe Madden wins. I know they won despite him, but they won the damn game. Did he overmanage in Game 7 in 2016? Yes. Did he have a talented team that bailed him out? Yes. But this Dodgers team can't bail out their manager. And you you watch Dave Roberts, he looks surprised that something goes wrong. He's not a good manager. Of, of the two in the World Series, Kevin Cash and Dave Roberts, Kevin Cash is by far the better manager because he knows how to work a bullpen. Dave Roberts doesn't know what he's doing with pitching. And, yeah, the, that last play was not on Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen was pitching, yeah, I mean, he's had some, he's had some trouble this year. But that wasn't on him. I don't know if I'd have put him in that spot, but that's just me. But last night's loss is on the shoulders of Dave Roberts because he should not have pulled Julio Arias that early and put the Rays back in it. The Rays could not touch Julio Arias. But, as my dad likes to put it, there's a little black book with telling, telling Dave Roberts what to do, and he's going step by step, knowing exactly what he's going to do each play. When, in, uh, he's, he's saying a computer can call the game. That's what he just said. I don't know if you could hear him on the microphone when he came back. But it, he, he's too scripted. He's predictable. You watch Kevin Cash. Yeah, I'm, let the record show. I am not a fan of the opener. I don't like this bullpen game with the opener. If you have a starting pitcher, have a starting pitcher that can go six innings. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, six innings is too much now in modern baseball. It can go five innings. Whatever you decide to do, more than four and two-thirds, for sure. More than three innings or whatever an opener does. I'm not a fan of that mentality. But also, he's a, he's a good manager because he knows how to manage a bullpen in that regard. I don't want to hear another word about how Dave Roberts is a great manager because he's not. And it's a yearly conversation in the playoffs. Everyone's so surprised. Oh, why the why the Dodgers collapse? Like they had they did so well in the regular season. Why did they collapse in the playoffs? Because Dave Roberts doesn't know how to manage in a pressure situation. It's plain and simple. You saw it last night. Nine strikeouts and four and two thirds innings, and you pull him. The Rays could not touch him. The Dodgers still haven't won a World Series since Kirk Gibson hit the home run when he could barely walk. You're seeing why. And the Rays have the momentum going into tonight. And I think tonight's game went from being heavy Dodgers to a toss-up. I don't know who's going to win tonight. I'm, I don't be watching because it's going to be a good game. But I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to win. The Rays are in the driver's seat right now. The series is tied 2-2, two two, so that means we're definitely getting six games out of this. I think it's going to go seven now. But who knows what's going to happen. But the Dodgers, had they had the chance to take control, be up 3-1. Granted, 3-1 leads in the World Series are dangerous at Cleveland. I don't know, I don't know if my, my old roommate Andy's listening, but 3-1 uh, leads in the World Series are not easy to keep sometimes. But a 2-2 World Series? It's anybody's right now. Let's find the pitching matchup for tonight.
So it's game five tonight down at Globe Life Stadium in Arlington. That's where the bubble is. Everyone keeps asking me, where are they playing? They're playing at Globe Life Stadium in Arlington. It's the new ballpark for the Texas Rangers. It's right next, I want to say it's right next, if not across the street, from the ballpark at Arlington, where they used to play up until last year. Game 5 tonight, Tyler Glasnow versus Clayton Kershaw. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. The Rays not only have the momentum, but they're going up against Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. <laughs> I there's a, there's a saying on social media, and I've adopted it. It's playoff Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is great in the regular season. And I know he had a really, he had a really good performance in game one. But I always worry playoff Kershaw is going to show up where he's just going to – he's a light switch. He's either on or he's off. <laughs> and Tyler Glass now is a talented pitcher. I mean, he can, he can put on a clinic. But, man, Kershaw's pitching tonight? Man, I don't know what's going to happen now. As if it wasn't a toss-up already. You don't know who you're going to get. It's the old Forrest Gump thing. But Clayton Kershaw pitches, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Oh, I'm, ex I'm even more excited now. <laughs> so it's going to be a really good game tonight. And who knows, is Dave Roberts going to manage his way out of another victory? Is he, are they actually going to get a victory this time? Are we going to have six games or seven? Who knows? But it's going to be fun. It's, I, 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 just, who, I forget who I was talking to that said uh, Dodgers-Rays World Series was going to be boring. I'm like, no, it's not. Would I rather had Rays-Braves? Absolutely. But Dodgers-Rays, I knew it wasn't going to be boring. I mean, you got two teams with different strengths. Like, you got a manager in the Rays who knows how to work a bullpen, and you got a Dodger offense that, if it gets hot, they can win no matter what, even despite their manager. Yeah, I knew this was going to be a roll of the dice. <laughs> I just, I still can't get over that ending last night. Go, that highlight. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'll tweet out the highlight. Go watch it. It's you have to see it to believe it. Because, I mean, I described it, and yeah, I think I got a couple names wrong in there, but the point still stands. It was base hit to center, center fielder, threw it to the catcher, catcher bobbled the throw, raised one, after Randy Rosarina tripped and fell. Insanity. So, yeah, game five tonight, 7-0-8, again, Glasnow versus Kershaw. <laughs> That's going to be, I'm, I can't help but laugh, because you have to think playoff Kershaw is going to show up at some point. Yeah, a lot, uh, lot on the docket the next 24 hours, 48 hours or so. Yeah, World Series tonight. You got a fun day at football. No Bears. Yeah, no Bears today, so enjoy a Bears-free Sunday. I know I'm going to take a nap because I take naps. But Bears play tomorrow night, Monday night football. And as promised, my prediction, Bears win 17-16. He's going to be low scoring. It's not going to be a six-point spread either way. I don't know why the Bears are six-point dogs, because that's not going to happen. But I, I predict Bears to win 17-16. to And I think the defense will have a pick six. They've had two taken away this year by crap calls. And I know Eddie Jackson's been vocal about it, because both times they were him. But I think the, I think the defense finally gets a pick six. They get into Jared Goff's head, 
And the final score is 17-16 Bears. Bears will be 6-1. and one, And they will go into a matchup with the Saints. 6-1. and one. That's what I think. I, and yeah, the Rams defense is going to give the Bears offense some trouble. Because I mean, Aaron Donald's just a beast. I mean, there's no, no question about it. I think you can absolutely argue he's the best defensive player in the game. But I think Bears will be 6-1 and one after tomorrow night, and they got a matchup with the Saints Sunday at Soldier Field, 325 kickoff. It's going to be a good game as well. We'll talk about the chances for that game next week. <clears throat> like I said, a lot going on. And like I said, I mean, the Hawks are rebuilding too. we got to keep an eye on that. you got to be kidding me. We're also coming up to the NBA draft next month. It's hard to believe that this is the last show of October. That's just crazy to me. But the NBA draft's coming up next month. So we're going to have some NBA draft chatter coming up as well. Baseball offseason will be in full swing as soon as the World Series is over. There will be full baseball offseason, which means we'll hear more about Tony LaRusso to the White Sox. We'll hear more about the White Sox manager search, what the Cubs are going to do this offseason, because baseball teams can't do anything during the World Series. That's, I don't know if that's a rule or just some, an unwritten rule, which don't get me started on unwritten rules, but I know there, there won't be any big announcements during the World Series. So once this is over, and it'll be over by the time we are on the air next week, We're going to have a lot in store. And like I said, I'm going to try to book a guest. I've been saying that the last few weeks. Maybe I'll book a guest. Depends on how I'm feeling. Depends on how everything goes. If there's something cool to talk about. I mean, made it through the whole show and Stan Bowman never called me. So I guess he didn't want to continue his magical media tour by coming on the Sunday Sports Shootout. Maybe I'll get Stan Bowman. Who knows? Depends on if he's in the mood to keep traveling around to all these different media outlets. But I do I had to say, John Greenberg, thanks again for that shout-out on Twitter about, like, hey, Stan, Nick's got an opening. But, man, I'm just, I'm just not optimistic. I mean, the Cubs rebuild I was optimistic about. Sox rebuild I was optimistic about. Bulls rebuild I wasn't really, but now they got new management. We'll see how that goes. This Hawks rebuild? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, I, I'm nervous about it. But I'm out of time for this week, so thank you, everybody, for listening live. I was glad I could be live again. Hoping to be back live next week, hopefully with a guest. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, and I will see you back here next Sunday at 11, hopefully talking about a Bears victory and other exciting happenings in Chicago sports. So until then, have a great week, everybody.